All right, and now for the sermon. Today will be brought to us by our pastor, Lawrence Gregory. The sermon is entitled, Some Questions Jesus Asked. There are 1,022 questions in the New Testament. There are 629 questions in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 177 in Matthew, 120 in Mark, 165 in Luke, and 167 in John. I counted 354 questions Jesus asked in the four Gospels. And of course, some of those are duplicated in the different letters, so that leaves over 200 separate special questions. I spent a, quite a few weeks going through each question, and it helps having a red letter Bible uh, with also a concordance to count out those questions. So this shows us that uh, Jesus had a lot of questions. Sometimes there were several together, a leading question, and uh, in couplets or triplicates. Sometimes uh, he answered his own questions. Sometimes he left the question unanswered. And uh, sometimes in those questions we have to ask, why? Did he know the answers already? Did he want to lead the disciples to see something that they hadn't seen before? Did he want to teach truths through those questions? To stimulate further inquiry? Sometimes he answered a question with a question. Sometimes he never even answered or asked for a response. Why? Now, about now, you may be feeling that you'd like to contribute and have some response to some of the questions. So today is going to be an inact, uh, interactive sermon today. That means if you would like to contribute something in a positive way to the message today, raise your hand and our microphone people that are in the back will come forward and give you a microphone. Now these microphone people are all young females. So all you do is raise your hand and they'll hand you a microphone and you can contribute, okay? Do a practice session, raise your hand, everyone. Okay, that's all you've gotta do if you wanna contribute, participate. The microphone people are ready back there. Now, in studying this, I noticed there were, there were several times, before we get into the questions here, that uh, Jesus said in several uh, different ways. How think you? Or, but what think you? Or even more specifically, what do you think, Simon? And so I'm asking us today to share what we might think about some questions Jesus asked. And we're going to see that uh, some might be seemingly at the first blush of reading insignificant and unimportant and just trivial. But the more we look at it and study it, we see that Everything he did and said that he received from the Father had a purpose. And so we're going to not look at those several hundred questions today that Jesus... I only have nine questions 
but there some of them are in uh, uh, he has leading questions that leads into one or two and, and more questions so we'll just have basically nine questions now I'd like to go first to the first question that Jesus asked as a young boy and what I would like to do today is uh, uh, mention the question and make some introductory comments that that I see and kind of stimulate your thinking and then you can be triggered to raise your hand and contribute something positive to the overall message today so the first question is in Luke Second chapter, verse 49. Luke 2, 49. This is the question. And actually, there's a couple of here, two questions. The first one, he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? Now, here's the background. Every year, Jesus' parents... Joseph and Mary took him up to Jerusalem to the Passover every year. And he was 12 years old this year. And so as they headed back home, they missed Jesus. And uh, the reading begins here in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, the eight days for unleavened bread and Passover, as they returned the child, Jesus, child, a young man, a, a young uh, uh, youth, 12 years old, tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintances. And when they found him not... They turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why have you dealt with us? Behold, your father and I have sought you sorrowing. Now notice Jesus' question and the importance and significance of it. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Now different translations can say why. But we'll say whether it's how or why. Let's think about this. How is it that people seek after Jesus? How have you been seeking after Jesus in your life? And what and why? Have you sought, and where have you sought Jesus? And he says, wished you, or know you not, or don't you understand, not that I must be about or in my father's business or house, as different translations said, don't you know I must be in my father's house? Here's the thing. Mary said, your father and I have been looking for you. Where have you been? Your father and I have sought you sorrowing. Look at today when children are kidnapped or missing. For three days, the parents are in agony and all over the news, isn't it? They're really upset and concerned. What happened to their child? Where is their child? You can imagine all kinds of things going through the parent's mind. But Jesus, 12 years of age, Mary said, your father and I, but he corrected her. He said, don't you know I must be in my father's house? I must be about my father's business? Was he bringing back to mind Mary? 
something that Mary knew that she was pregnant and conceived by the Holy Spirit with Jesus and Joseph was a stepfather? Was he gently reminding his mother that my father and why wouldn't you find me in the temple in my father's house? That would be the first place you ought to look. If you're going to find Jesus, you're going to find him either in church or in heaven or as a spirit in presence with us, his presence with us. Where are you going to find Jesus? In a bar? Sitting at a bar stool? I saw a guy the other day on television, he's converted his bar to a church. And uh, they have church services in the bar there with all the beer drinkers and things. And uh, I guess, you know, maybe the idea is good, maybe not. I, I'm not interested. I had a guy call me one time. He wanted to have a, uh, me perform a wedding ceremony for him and his girlfriend that he made in the bar. And they wanted to have it in the bar here in Tulsa. I said, no, I'm not, con I'm not going to uh, perform a wedding ceremony in a bar. I'm not going to do it. And uh, now... We have our microphone people back here. Jesus questions. How is it that you sought me? Know you not that I must be in my father's business? About my father's business? In my father's house? Anybody have anything you'd like to share from that impresses you about Jesus? And if, and if not, we'll just pass on. But yes, so, uh, right there. Trevor. I just thought something that was interesting is if you know where Luke says Jesus was for the last three days. Mm -hmm. He was in the temple talking to the lawyers and debating them. And it's not unusual to do the questioning back and forth. And so one thing that comes to mind is was that answer and that question really for his mother and Joseph, his earthly stepfather, or his biological father there, mm -hmm. or was it for the lawyers? Wilt ye not that I must be about my father's business? Was he, um, who's, who was the audience for that question? Mm -hmm. How about us? How about the audience, us? How about the lawyers, like you said? How about his mother and Joseph, reminding her that his father was God? Joseph was his stepfather. So, maybe all of those. The answer and Jesus' questions were to stimulate their thinking. Now notice it says here, uh, because maybe for the personal, uh, just, to, just to follow up here, uh, one more verse, uh, two verses, and they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. They didn't, they didn't know what, like here, what are we getting, what's the purpose of all this? And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. So he was obedient, he was subject, even though he reminded her, my father is God, and I'm now in the path to adulthood as a 12-year-old, beginning to be as they have that bar mitzvah, isn't it, at 13, when the Jews have their bar mitzvah for the adulthood for the young male, uh, that he was beginning to ex exert his independence, but he was still obedient and subject to his parents, to his physical parents. So... A lot of things going on here. Okay. You have uh, eight more opportunities to think about this interactive comments as we go through here. Now, the next question is uh, in Luke. By the way, uh, I, that was the first question that Jesus ever asked. 
Then we're going to look a little later at the last question he asked in this physical life, and then another question in the spiritual life after when he was uh, still with his disciples there. So uh, we'll, we'll just, oh, there are so many wonderful, special, precious questions that Jesus asked, but we're only going to have time today for a few of them. So let's go pass on now and no, no don't pass on I mean, just turn <laughs> turn in your Bibles to Luke uh, the 12th chapter you got to be careful about telling people pass on I guess uh, or pass out or something uh, Luke the 12th chapter and uh, verse 49 and 51 here's uh, here again a couplet okay first the question is I am come to send fire on the earth and what will I, if it be already kindled? And the second question, verse 51, with him. Suppose you that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you no, but rather division. Now, think about this a little bit. I, what about the contradiction? We're to be of one mind. We're to be of one spirit. We're to be like-minded in harmony, in a unity, in a, and in the church, and in the family, oneness, one nation, one people, the people of the, were to be, but yet, contradictory, Jesus said, I'm sending division in the family and in the home, and uh, I'm sending fire on the earth. What will I if it already be kindled? Have you ever been in a situation that was uh, difficult and trying and you wanted to just get past it and you were eager for it to be over but were traumatized by the uh, situation that you're involved in so what what is he talking about here uh, I'm coming to send fire on the earth and what will if I if it already be kindled okay and then a division in the home is he talking about because oh I, I, let me read the middle verse here verse 50 but I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how am I, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? And the word straightened means pained. And that's what I meant. I've got something difficult to face, and it just hurts me, and I want it to be over with, and I want it to be past. And so what he's talking about is his passion, his death and burial and resurrection. And all the trauma that he was going to go through and was going through for you and I and for everyone. And he was eager to have it over with, but reluctant to have it take place because it's going to be brutal and painful. Have you ever been that way in an ordeal? You just didn't want to face it. But you know, hey, the sooner I get through with this, the sooner it'll be over with. And um, so, any comments or questions? Anything you see that you would like to add different? How do you... Yes, Ron. There's the sound. Uh, the, the when you were uh, reading that scripture, it's one I went to last week in Hebrews 4, speaking about the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder. I love the way that's put in the King James, that dividing asunder. 
which from the Greek is just that it's a dividing. You know, and it's evidenced when how the Word of God is, is used by so many people that proclaim Christ Jesus, pray to the Father, but parts of the, of the Word people can sure divide over. And you have so many divisions and splits when there is just what, exactly what you said. There's no, there's no division in the mind of Christ Jesus. There's no division in his body in that like-mindedness when we've all completely surrendered to the sovereignty of his mind. But that there in Hebrews 4, just speaking about the word of God, that that's, and of course, Jesus being the word, but just that two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Mm-hmm. So it's very powerful. And then even when we're even divided in our own minds, I think at time the word of God can mm-hmm. give us that spanking to get us back more in alignment with Jesus' mind. Okay, and, and what about in the family where we see sometimes families divided over Christianity, over the church, you know? Uh, in fact, sometimes violent oppositions for f- certain family members that are converted or in nations where we see different religions and the fire and the difficulty and the tra- travail that's going on and, and the contradiction that seems to be the reality and the ideal. The reality is that there's division. There's in the family split up. I have family members, a lot of family members, that don't want anything to do with the church. That have no, and I'm kind of alone, except for my immediate family, my wife and children, in that resource. How many of you have other family members that aren't in the church of God? Everybody has family. Uh, what about the way it is contrasted with the standard of what it should be? How do we, how do we reconcile? the um, difference between the reality, the way things are in the family, in the home, split up with religion, Christianity, and how we, as Ron was saying, even in our own way, view the Word of God and how it's divided, even in our life. Okay, the next question, Matthew 5, turn to Matthew 5, verse 13. And... This is in the Beatitudes. This is the question, Matthew 5.13. We're also familiar with this. He said, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Now, there's all kinds of salt. There's rock salt, uh, multicolored, out of this quarried and mined, and there's salt that's got out of marshes that are dried and evaporated there's salt water that's boiled and you take and you make salt and then you you've got sandy salt in along certain beaches that's scooped up and purified and cleaned and there's some things we know about salt as a seasoning a purifier a preservative antiseptic uh, it's clean and white generally except the rock salt does has some coloring and and variegation in it but uh, we use it for uh, to add pungence to food and to spice it up and to add flavor to it. But salt that's wet and soggy, do we put that on our food? We don't like that, do we? Here's the, here's the question Jesus asked. Now think about this. 
What was he getting at? Was he just talking about salt? Was he just talking about table salt, Morton's table salt that you put on your food? He was using that as, an, as a metaphor, as an, an analogy, a comparison with spiritual things. And so if that salt has lost its savor, how can you add it back? You throw it out. It's no good. Okay, what about spiritually and morally and ethically and personally and, and application of religiosity in our life? What does that mean to us? And if we lose it, how do we get it back? Okay. Hands up. I guess that what that means to me is that um, spiritually, if we become dull, um, then we are no longer um, able to give other people what they need when they are listening to what we're saying. So it doesn't, you know, salt being tasteful, you know, you when you're when you're giving advice uh, spiritually to someone, but if you give dull advice or you become dull in the spirit, what good are you? How many of you are salty, spicy, a little pungency? Uh, question over here. Uh, oh, you agree with it? Okay, he's spicy, salty. Now, you have some pungency. You have some life in your vigor. Is that what Christ means to us? Do we have some enthusiasm and some excitement? And do we add some spice to life? Are we a preservative of this world? Are we here, white and pure, to add something wonderful and preserving to the good, not to the evil, but to the good that is what God intended to be in this earth and the good that's there. If we have lost our spice and our enthusiasm and excitement for God and His ways and righteousness and purity, how are we going to get it back? Where does it come from? Initially, God created it. He created that salt. And man makes it and brings it out. If it's no good, get rid of it. We don't want to be that way. We want to have salt in ourselves. Here, uh, Mike people, Mike person down here. Steve has a question or comment. Say it with salt. <laughs> you ever been told you're salty? Old, old sailors, you know, one-legged guys, you know, they say, he's a salty old sailor. One thing interesting sailor. about salt is that uh, too much, you know, can, can spoil. Yeah. Can ruin. So we are the salt of the earth, so we get just the right amount of seasoning. Because we can, we can chase people off just as well as we can bring them to this truth in this way. So it's kind of interesting that he used that analogy of salt. And I'm sure there's other things that are embedded in that because salt has a lot of different properties to it that uh, you know, can be brought out. Notice what Jesus said. You are the salt of the earth. We're salt. We have two. Uh, first Bob and then Art. Along with uh, what that young lady said and Steve said, um, it seems to me like if we have the Holy Spirit, 
And if we're uh, a lot, uh, in tune with the Holy Spirit and cooperating with the Holy Spirit, that would be the full saltiness where we are living our life the way God would want to for the body of Christ and for the whole world. But if we're not cooperating with the Holy Spirit or we're dull to the Holy Spirit, then that's a salt that lost its uh, taste and we, our lives really isn't contributing uh, to the body of Christ. Cast out, be trodden underfoot of men. Yes, Art. Uh, salt over the years has been used as a preservative for meat years and years ago. Mm -hmm. um, as such, it preserves the meat to be good so it can be transported over oceans and, and the like. And likewise, uh, we will preserve the earth as God's resurrected and spiritual beings. Mm -hmm. Preservative. Are we a preservative of good? Of clean, clean meat for us. I remember as a boy, we used to rub that salt on those porks and hams and stuff. But we don't want to talk about that. Okay. <laughs> Keep it positive. Beef now. Okay. This Again. is from a Holman translation, but it, it, it puts it a little differently. It says in 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? And the Spirit comes from our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And so if we do lose our Savior, which I think we heard from the last message, like even Elijah wants to run and hide like a little girl, we can trust in our Savior that he will We don't have to do this on our own. Right. And we won't be cast out and trodden underfoot. Because right. he's going to finish the work that he started in us. Right. Yeah, we can want to always want to keep that positive that we're going to endure, overcome, grow. We're not going to quit. We're not going to go. We're not going to be cast out. We're not going to become saltless. We're tasteless. We're going to stay salty. And by the way, just adding information on the first message, you know, Elijah ran 20 miles beating that chariot in a rainstorm, beating those horses and chariot. 20 miles he ran. Superman. Yes. Okay. Uh, Let's go on to the, um, oh yes, I'm sorry, we have more questions, yes. Well, just a comment, just to add to what Trevor was saying. Um, with the first message, I think that this beautifully ties into James 5.20 where it says, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. In terms of our attitude, yes, um, the Spirit comes from the Father, but if we are seeing each other fall short in our zest and our zeal for Christ and for our way of life and the truth, then we do have a responsibility to help kind of resalt each other in a sense. Mm -hmm. So that's good, isn't it? We don't have just salt for ourselves, but to share, to help other people, one another, in the family, in the church, in the community, in the nation, in the world. We're the salt. We're the salt of this earth. Jesus wants and expects something from us. If we're not salty, we're not worth anything. So, we are, and, and he had a lot more, so this, this is just one of the uh, things that are singled out here from the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, um, Matthew 16, let's go on to another question here. Um, Matthew 16, verse 13 and 15, here's another uh, couple of uh, couplets of uh, questions. And uh, verse 13, uh, and there's 
several instances of this in, in other uh, related and, and similarity in some of the other gospel accounts when he was in prayer privately and he talked to his disciples. But here, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they responded and said, Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say you that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay. The first question for those of you who read a lot of history and things, what is it? What do, what do people say about Jesus? Who do, who do people say that Jesus is? Remember in the presidential election, uh, the last one, one of the presidents in an interview, uh, in a debate, the question was, uh, who is your favorite philosopher? And he said, Jesus Christ. And then the media ridiculed him for saying Jesus was a philosopher. And... Uh, you can go back in history and you can read what uh, Josephus said, what Napoleon said, and what different presidents have said and different individuals have said about Jesus. Here they said, you know, uh, John the Baptist, uh, Elijah, uh, Jeremiah, maybe one of the prophets. Who, who do people say today Jesus is? Just a religious leader? A man? Uh, a figure of history? Yes. Just microphones coming for our, for our, our internet services. The reason we have the microphones here. Uh, some people called Jesus the master. Jesus Jesus Nazareth. Uh, Take his name in vain. Call him different things. Yeah. Ignore his. Uh, he's nobody, nothing. What they say? What are, what are people in history? What do people say today about Jesus? Well, he's just a, you know, he's just another religious leader. Was that all that Jesus was interested in? Notice the leading question and the way he, he leads into this. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And then they respond. Then he comes with the kicker. <laughs> he said unto them. But, who do you say that I am? Hands going up everywhere. How many of you, what is Jesus Christ to you? Ron. I mean, uh, Ken. Ron's back there. Ron was back there. Ron left. Where's Ron? There's Ron. He's Ken. my Savior. He is our Savior. Who else has a hand? What is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? What is it? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that he is? He's the Messiah. Messiah, okay. Jacqueline, do you want to answer? Redeemer. 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 How about your husband? King. King. Back on the back seat. Think about this. What is Jesus Christ to me personally? What is he to me? Who is he? He's a mentor. Mentor? Yes. Over here, couple, three. Now they're, you're getting alive. You're getting salty on me. 
Okay. okay. Son of God. Son of God. And your wife. I'd like to say that I think he's my friend. And that's, that's kind of a new thing for me that I've just realized in the last few years. I think growing up in this tradition, there was, there's been a, a lot of emphasis on the law and on the prophets and on the Old Testament and keeping, keeping the things that we know that we should be keeping. But I think that um, as time goes on, we as a congregation and we as a tradition are continuing to grow and develop our saltiness and to learn to know a little bit more about the power of Christ in us power of the Holy Spirit and to know him as that, that friend, that friend that's closer than a brother. That's good. All these are good. We're adding, we're adding things. And does that impress you when you say, Who, my best friend, Jesus. He's my friend. Go ahead. I was going to say he's our elder brother as well. He's an example to look up to as well. Okay. All of these are good. Brother, uh, Larry had a... Well, the first question was, he was asking the apostles who he was. Okay. And naturally, they would have known that he was the son of God because he had done all those miracles in their presence. We take it on faith by reading the Bible and accepting the blessings that he's been given us. And it, it's hard for me to understand how the people of his time that actually witnessed a lot of those miracles still didn't believe that he was the Christ. Right. So... They just thought he's a great man, a great doing miracles, maybe a prophet, maybe, but limited. Uh, the uh, uh, what's your daughter's name, Alicia? Uh, what? Alyssa. Didn't you have a question, Alyssa? Yeah. Go, you go first, and then let David. Um, he's everything good and righteous. Okay, righteous. Uh, Jesus is also the head of the church, and. Uh, Sets the example as head of the church and man's head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. So uh, we men should love our wives as Christ loved the church. Yes. To me, he's the lover of my soul. Yes. More. Yes. It's interesting that uh, his answer uh, after uh, Peter given that. Uh, his answer was very interesting because it has to be revealed who Jesus Christ is. Mm -hmm. you know, he says, blessed are you, Simon Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed that. So when we come to understand Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit is working in us to understand who he is. And notice Peter's answer was, you are the, emphatic, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter knew he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus responded. See, Jesus, he didn't just ask questions to be wasting time but he was leading them to reveal themselves to themselves and leaving a message for us that we might better understand and appreciate him and see our own selves we've had a lot of good answers today about who is Jesus to us friend, prophet, leader, ruler government 
priest, on and on. Yes, Debbie. Then we got to go on uh, uh, two more comments, I guess. He's also a high priest. And yes. He also goes in and talks to our Father for us and, and advocates for us. So he's also an advocator and a counselor. Intercedes for us. Oh, so much. The fullness of Jesus Christ. He was full. And all these things. Yes, a couple more over there. We'll go on to another question. David and then uh, Reg. Yeah, since we had kind of gone a little bit further into that, uh, Jesus was kind of setting him up. And he said um, in verse 18, And upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, that particular scripture is one that a lot of churches will use to say that Peter was the head of the church. I will build my church on you, Peter. And they do take that totally out of context. And when Jesus said, you are Peter, the, the Greek word means uh, Petros, P-E-T-R-O-S, which is a small rock, a small stone. He said, upon this rock, and if you were there in, in the conversation, most likely he was pointing to himself, said, upon this rock, this Petra, P-E-T-R-A, a big, huge, bold, uh, I will build my church. So that goes along with the other scriptures, too, saying that he is the head of the church. But anyway, this one was... Yes. Notice, notice how he... It leads to more fuller revelation and expression to rich. Peter's, Peter's answer to this by saying that Christ is the Son of God is asserting that he is God and therefore affirming the divinity of Christ which was the accusation for which he was crucified. Yes. And he continues like David and there's more even. You see Part of the preparation for the message today was to leave you hanging a little bit, like in the old Western movies. I mean, uh, uh, leave you wanting more because there's more. Like Paul Harvey, you say, now for the rest of the story, because there's more that follows. But we're going to leave it hanging a little bit here, okay? We'll go on, we'll go on to the next question, whether you want to or not. <laughs> okay. Uh, Let's see here. Matthew 20. Yeah, let's go. Let's go there. Matthew 20, verse 32. Matthew 20, verse 32. Okay. Here's the uh, question. What will you that I shall do unto you? Now, let me, let me read the rest of the story and the backup here, uh, beginning in verse uh, 29. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, you son of David. The multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, you son of David. And Jesus stood still and called them and said, What will you that I shall do unto you? They said unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. 
So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Now here's the question to every one of us. What will you that Jesus do unto you? What is it we want from Jesus? What is it we want? Any comments? What do you want? David, again. I'm glad we have some that are bold and have salty today. Had a lot of salt. I would like for Jesus to do for me. Uh, he, we've already established the fact that we are the salt of the world and the light of the world. I would like for him to give me personally the, the wisdom and the strength and the courage to be the salt that he called me to do, to encourage people that need the salt. And, uh, but anyway, to give me the wisdom and, and wherewithal to do that. Are we, get, are we getting the point here? What is it that Jesus can do for us? What do we need? We need a job. We need financial help. We need understanding. We need sympathy. We need more of God's Holy Spirit. We need the truth. We need a long life. We need healing. What is it we need? And where are we going to get it? Uh, sound person. I'd like to be more Christ-like. Okay. Now, now, here's the kicker. When we get what we want and what we need, what are we going to do with it? What did these two men do? They followed him. They followed Jesus. That's what he wants to share and to do good and to give but how many people have got the gimmies? Give me this, give me that. Do this for me, Lord. And they order when you, when, when you, sometimes you hear people pray and they're ordering God about. God, do this. Amen, brother, do this. God, do that. How many of you heard people ordering God around to do things? Rather than asking, would you please, God, do this? Or intercede, would you help? Then when they get it, what do they do with it? How many are willing to follow Jesus and do what he does and do what he did and say what he says and be where he wants them to be, small or great, whatever he wants them to do to follow him and maybe to follow him for the rest of their life into insignificance and in poverty and in sickness and in trials, it may be trial after trial and the person is playing and struggling with that. Or it may be in prosperity and maybe in wealth and maybe in fame and fortune. But what is most important is that they are following Jesus truly and correctly. Is that what, is that what he was getting at here? Leaving us an example so that we can look to him and when we get what he is giving us and answering us, we won't neglect him and put him off. We'll follow him. We'll keep on. Uh, 
Next question. Let's go to the book of John. This is the sixth question or series of questions. John 667. Here's the question. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Will you also go away? Now, now here's the uh, surrounding questions, beginning in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that you are that Christ, the Son of the living God. What an exclamation of faith and belief and positive confirmation of what he knew internally. Here's a question to you and I. When we hear something troubling and difficult and hard to understand, or things that go on that we don't see and understand, in the world, in the church, in life, how many of us are going to quit and give up and turn back and stop following Jesus? How many in this room are going to go forward and follow Jesus regardless? Where can you go? Where, where can you go? To a political party? Another religion? Uh, yes. Go ahead. Well, it's interesting. The last question helps answer this question. Because if we continue to believe the words of Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. Mm -hmm. No, I can see Peter. He understood what Christ was... He just explained all of it to him before he came to that conclusion. And he said, you are. You know, he understood. He was the son of the living God. And he was believing. He wasn't giving up. He was believing what Jesus had said. And that's the way we should be. We should continue to believe the words of Jesus that we have eternal life dwelling in us. And never give up. Never. We believe and are sure that you are that Christ, the Son of the living God. There's more to that and another following question. We won't go in there. You, there's another question following, but I'm not going to go there. Now, the next question in Mark, back up to Mark. 
the second chapter. And in verse 8. And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason you these things in your heart? Okay, what is that question? Well, let's read surrounding verses. Beginning in verse 1. And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised about that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much, as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come near unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. They tore the roof off the house to let this guy down in there where Jesus was. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, your sins be forgiven you. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And then in verse 8, immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason you these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say, to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven you, or to say, arise and take up your bed and walk, another question, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto you, arise, take up your bed, and go your way into your house. And immediately he arose, took up his bed, went forth before them all, so much that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Now, Here's the thing. We know about body language, don't you? You know about body language. You, you, you read it sometimes. You try to read or people read. You've got to be careful about that, don't you? Because you can misread. Now, I've been preaching since the 70s. And folks get to know me quite a bit. A lot about me mannerisms, what I'm going to say. I've been there before. I've said it before. I've told that joke. When some new people come, I can tell the old joke. You know, I'm always looking for uh, new people for old jokes. <laughs> and uh, after a while, you get to know me and body language and what I'm about. And uh, then I can look out. I have the advantage. Uh, I can read body language too, sometimes. Shake of the head, nod of the head, agreement, disagreement, get up and storm out. I know I've probably upset somebody. Uh, but I can be wrong, see, because maybe they, had, they left because they had to go to the bathroom. I want to go back and get some coffee or something. And so we have to be careful in, in body language. This is not what we're talking about right here. We're talking about a discernment of spirit. 
one of the gifts of God's Spirit. This is one that, you know, a person who really has this doesn't say, you know, I, I can discern Spirit. They just, they just do it. It just happens. God's Spirit reveals certain things to them. And you have to be very careful. Oh, God told me, the Spirit told me that you were wrong. Be careful about that. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he revealed what they were thinking because they were thinking, who could forgive? Now he's going to show. I'm going to show you. I'm going to, you're thinking, who is it can forgive sins but God? I'm going to show you I'm God in the flesh. God with us. Emmanuel, the Son of God. I'm going to show you that I can heal and I can forgive sins. And I'm going to show you I can forgive sins by healing. Isn't this what he was about? And then when he did that, they were all amazed. And Mark, we never saw it on this fashion for what he did. And the man was forgiven and he was healed. Now here again we have to be careful of saying somebody that has a sickness or disease is because of sin. No. It may not be. It can be. It may not be. It may be uh, different reasons. We don't go into that. We have to be careful about body language. We have to be careful about discerning of spirits and saying, you know, I know this. We have to be very careful and look to him for uh, guidance and direction and for correct analysis of whatever the situation is. And if it's of God, positive thing, good will come from it, blessings will accrue, and uh, everyone will benefit from it. Okay, um, the, in Mark 15th chapter is the, the last question in his physical life. And we'll go to Mark 15:34. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, which is being interpreted. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So now here's, we know the uh, scenario. Verse 33, when the sixth hour, which was 12 o'clock noon, Passover day, the 14th, was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, three o'clock. And at three o'clock, then Jesus cried that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, here's the question. We know from the scriptures, he said, I must tread the winepress alone. He must enter as a high priest alone on that day of atonement. He alone is the sin bearer. He alone was the perfect man. Why, why hanging on the cross in those seven last sentences, phrases, sayings that he had about in the middle, did he say and ask this question? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Has, did God forsake him? Did God turn his back on him? I know Steve was talking about Psalm 22. You want to read all of that sometime. I, I, and he was talking more about his belief and looking ahead beyond the, beyond the stake that he was on. But why did, why did Jesus say that? What, is it, what does it touch us? What do we get out of that? My God, my God, why? Had God forsaken him? 
Yes, Alitha. If you read Isaiah 59, 2, he says, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear you. It's a question to make us think about our sins and what have separated us from him in our actions, make it a personal question to us. He knew he had to be separated because he was bearing the sins of all of us at that time, so God had to turn his face away from him. Have you, have you ever been in an ordeal where you knew God said, I'd never leave you or forsake you, I'm, my presence is with you, but where we, we know that we've got to go through this, that God is, he's done all he can do to help us, he's there, but he, like we as parents, sometimes we let our children go through things, we can help them all we can. They've got to work through this. They've got to get the job. They've got to work out their finances. They've got to go through this. We've helped them all we can help. Isn't that kind of way life is? In the physical realm, there's only so much we can do. But at the same time, when Jesus is hanging up there, conscious, like uh, Aletha said, of his sins, not his sins, but our sins that were on him, and that God had to let him go through that. God could have stopped it. He could have said, Jesus said, he could send six legions of angels earlier. Remember he said, I got, he could send thousands of angels. But he knew that he had to go through that. And the father knew that he had to go through that. And so the father just stepped back and let him go through and let him die for you and I. There's so much more that we can, we can say uh, about that. Any, any other comments or full? Yes, Matthew. And then Ken. It's kind of a tricky scripture because we don't like the idea that God, you know, separated himself from his only son. Yeah. Because what does that mean for us? That he would so easily separate himself from his only son, righteous son, and then how do we compare to that? And I think a lot of it uh, is rhetorical, poetic. Like you say, uh, the other day, uh, Joseph was goofing around in the playroom decided that he could fly and uh, crashed his head against the side of a cabinet. Um, his, his head opened. I wished I could have taken that for him, but I couldn't. Mm -hmm. He had to endure it, but I was there. Yes. You know, and I, I think a lot of what Jesus was crying out was the human side of him, the pain. I mean, I racked with pain mm, yeah. to the level that we've never experienced. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is, is that poetic and if I remember correctly, um, later on, the passage that he's quoting, you can see that he's there. Yes. Like the Father yeah. was always there. Yeah. And Jesus knew beyond that, the resurrection, that he was going to be ruling and reigning. And uh, let's see, someone else had a question down here. And then one more question, series of questions here, and then we'll be finished for today. My take on this has always been, you know, Jesus... And, and God always were together. They, they never, uh, they were all together. They had a wonderful relationship. They were always communicating with each mm -hmm. other. And this was the first time. He had to go through that alone. He, he had to, to tread the wine press alone, alone for us. 
He had to go through that. He had to do it. Yes. The sympathy, the empathy, the feeling, the emotion that we get out of this. Uh, let's pass on to the last uh, question, and it's actually three, a three-parter. It's a triplicate in question here. But uh, John, the 21st chapter, this is after the resurrection now, when he's with his disciples. And uh, verse 15, 16, and 17, uh, this is a series of questions and, and takes a longer message, but I think we can sort through this here. Uh, uh, so beginning verse 15, chapter 21. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, boy, he sure, he, he asked Peter a lot, didn't he? Just picked on him. Uh, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, you knowest that I love you. And he said unto him, Feed my lambs. He said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. How many of you understand and know what's going on here? How many of us have studied? How many know what's going on here? Raise your hand. How many don't know or don't fully understand what's going on here? But don't be embarrassed. I, I stick my hand up all the time, don't I? You hear me say, I, I'm not sure about that, but this is the way. Okay, how many, am I going to, are we going to help? If we all know the answer, we can just quit right here. How many want to better understand what's going on here? Okay, here's the thing. If you have a Greek diaglot or an interlinear or a Strong's Concordance or Vines Dictionary, you can get that and you'll see there's different Greek words here for love. So there's two words here for love. One is agapeo, which is the love of God, a divine moral commitment to God. Another one is phileo, filio. Philadelphia, brotherly love. We know that. One is brotherly love, affection. One is love to God. Okay? So Jesus asked Peter the first time, let's work back through this. Simon Peter, love you me more than these, than the disciples? He asked him comparing with the others. Do you love me more than the others? And Debbie, I know you had a question earlier. Did you... Did you want to share with what you had earlier? If not, we'll, we'll just proceed here and then, because I didn't want to, I, I, I just remembered I saw your hand raised. Uh, do you love me, agape, do you love me as God more than you love these? Or was he saying, do you love me more than they love me? He's asking, do you agape me as God? And he said, Peter said, Yea, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I love you as a brother. I have affection, tender regard for you. He didn't say, I love you as God. I love you as a brother. 
He said, feed my lambs. And there's a couple of words here for lambs and sheep. You can go into that. And for feeding, uh, Bosco, providing food. Pomino is a shepherding, guiding, directing, ruling over. So you can get your uh, references out and, and work through these other words here. Uh, I'll try to hasten through here. He said unto him again the second time. Okay, second time. Simon, son of Jonah, love you me. He left off more. Just, do you love me? Agapio, do you love me as God? Simon Peter, he said, Yea, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I love you as a brother. I have tender affection. He said, feed my sheep. Rule, rule. Pastor, feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Now Jesus has switched to Phileo. Simon, do you love me as a brother? Do you just have tender affection for me? He wasn't asking him, do you love me as God? Do you love me as a brother? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Phileo me, lovest thou me? Peter caught that he switched words on him. And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. You know, and this word, no, you can, a couple of different words here, Ganasco and, uh, and uh, Bosco and, and, and knowing intimately and completely, uh, you, you can study that out. But Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Peter did not say ever, I agapio. He always said, I phileo. And after the third time, Jesus just passed on because he couldn't elicit that final complete commitment here from Peter. And then he told him, well, you know, verily I say unto you, when you were young, you girded yourself, you walked whether you went. But when you're old, you shall stretch forth your hands, and another shall gird you, and carry you where you would not go. I'm going to martyr him, crucify him, kill him, where he wouldn't go. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said unto him, Follow me. Follow me. Because he knew later, Peter would come to the full realization and the understanding that he was a son of God, that he was God, and would give his love and his life. He was going to have to lay down his life to defend his belief in Jesus Christ, and he did it. And, and the history say that Peter was in Babylon, never, never, true scriptures, uh, true history says that he never made it to Rome, but he was in Babylon, and that he was crucified upside down, hung upside down on an X. And there's different crosses, Latin crosses, or Roman crosses, uh, different kinds of crosses, but Peter went through this 
question and this dialogue with Jesus. And Jesus was trying to pull him out. Now here's the, here's the, here's the question. What is our love to Jesus? Is it just as a good man, a brother, after all we've gone through today and, 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 and this? Is, or is it something special that he is God, he is the son of God, he is our savior. We just went through all of these things, friend and ruler and savior and God, all of this. Any, any questions or comments concluding while we wrap up here? Okay, in closing, we've seen just a, a few of some questions Jesus asked. Each one is significant, purposeful, full of practical, physical, spiritual benefit to each one of us. The more we examine his life and teachings and questions, the greater and more wonderful he becomes to us. So, let his questions lead us to a deeper, fuller relationship with him. But uh, we'll leave that for some other time.